joining here in his work. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. 오늘의 구약 말씀은 사무엘상 16장 1절부터 13절입니다. 여호와께서 사무엘에게 이르시되 내가 이미 사울을 버려 이스라엘 왕이 되지 못하게 하였거늘 네가 그를 위하여 언제까지 슬퍼하겠느냐 너는 뿔에 기름을 채워 가지고 가라 내가 너를 베들레헴 사람 이세에게로 보내리니 이는 내가 그의 아들 중에서 한 왕을 보았느니라 하시는지라 사무엘이 이르되 내가 어찌 갈수 있으리까 사울이 들으며 나를 죽이리다 하니 여호와께서 이르시되 너는 암송아지를 끌고 가서 말하기를 내가 여호와께 제사드리러 왔다 하고 이세를 제사에 청하라 내가 너에게 행할 일을 가르치리니 내가 너에게 알게 하는 자에게 나를 위하여 기름을 부을지니라 사무엘이 여호와의 말씀대로 행하여 베들레헴의 이름에 성읍 장로들이 떨며 그를 영접하여 이르되 평강을 위해 오시나이까 이르되 평강을 위함이니라 내가 여호와께 제사하러 왔으니 스스로 성결하게 하고 와서 나와 함께 제사하자 하고 이세와 그의 아들들을 성결하게 하고 제사에 청하니라 그들이 오매 사무엘이 엘리압을 보고 마음에 이르기를 여호와의 기름을 부으실 자가 과연 주님 앞에 있도다 하였더니 여호와께서 사무엘에게 이르시되 그의 용모와 키를 보지 말라 내가 이미 그를 버렸노라 내가 보는 것은 사람과 같지 아니하니 사람은 외모를 보거니와 나 여호와는 중심을 보느니라 하시더라 이세가 아비나답을 불러 사무엘 앞을 지나게 하매 사무엘이 이르되 이도 여호와께서 택하지 않으셨느니라 하니 이세가 산마로 지나게 하매 사무엘이 이르되 이도 여호와께서 택하지 않으셨느니라 하니라 이세가 그의 아독 그의 아들 일곱을 다 사무엘 앞으로 지나가게 하나 사무엘이 이세에게 이르되 여호와께서 이들을 택하지 아니하셨느니라 하고 또 사무엘이 이세에게 이르되 네 아들들이 다 여기 있느냐 이세가 이르되 아직 막내가 남았는데 그는 양을 지키나이다 사무엘이 이세에게 이르되 사람을 보내어 그를 데려오라 그가 여기 오기까지는 우리가 식사 자리에 앉지 아니하겠노라 이에 사람을 보내어 그를 데려오매 그의 빛이 붉고 눈이 빼어나고 얼굴이 아름답더라 여호와께서 이르시되 이가 그니 일어나 기름을 부으라 하시는지라 사무엘이 기름 뿔병을 가져다가 그의 형제 중에서 그에게 부었더니 이날 이후로 다윗이 여호와의 영에 크게 감된, 감동되니라 사무엘이 떠나서 라마로 가니라 Our New Testament reading is John 9 verses 1 through 3 As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth And his disciples asked him, Lappi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, 
but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Kenny. I feel like I'm talking to myself. <laughs> Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, your word speaks to us and says to us that the entrance of your word brings light. Help us today, Lord, bring light to our eyes that we may see because you, Lord, have lifted our blindness in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You know, bondage can be defined a lot of ways, but one way you can define it is being comfortable in your brokenness. Now, you, you, might, see, you might see this in horror movies, you know, where somebody's bound they're bleeding, they're in a corner, and you come in the room and you say, I'm here to rescue you. And they say, no thanks, I'm good. Helen Keller, who was both blind and deaf, wrote this. She said, gradually I got used to the silence and darkness that surrounded me and forgot that it had ever been different until she came, my teacher, who was to set my spirit free. She's referring to Ann Sullivan. But Helen Keller demonstrates that you don't need sight in order to see. And that having vision doesn't mean that you can see. See, it isn't until you have a friend come alongside of you and show you how much you are missing that you realize the severity of your blindness. See, blindness is not just a personal problem. It can also be a cultural and national problem. And cultures can become comfortable in their brokenness. Nations can suffer the bondage of being comfortable in their brokenness too. And like people, they, they will fight the one who's trying to set their spirit free. See, that's what's happening in the story here in John 9. The man born blind is emblematic of the nation's blindness. See, they're fighting against they're fighting, they're fighting against the offer of deliverance, the, the offer to have, to have their darkness removed. They're fighting against the offer of light. And the one who is blind, the text is reminding us, is, and knows that he is blind, is the one who gets freed. The one who claims they can see but are actually blind, they're comfortable in their brokenness, they remain in bondage. However, there's, there's great beauty in this passage because we see how perspectives can be changed and a new nature is created. And we see how reality displaces the false narratives and, the weak, and weak worldviews that are insufficient to bring life and light to a broken world. Because too many today are embracing false narratives and weak views of the world that they use to orient their, their reality, to try and shape their reality. But our hope is that by God's word, 
Today, we will have our eyes open that the works of God might be displayed in our lives. Because false narratives and weak worldviews are, are always trying to provide reasons for the trouble that you experience. So there are three false views offered in the text. One is sickness has to be somebody's fault. The second one is you must, you must follow the rules in order to be right with God. The third one, God only listens if you worship and work. Then here comes our friend, Jesus. He comes along and he offers to us a different perspective that changes the lenses through which we see the world. And it changes what had been our reality. He shows that our brokenness is a place where the works of God might be displayed. And so from our reading, we see the necessity of God's work being displayed, the nausea created by God's works being displayed, and the new nature resulting from God's works being displayed. Let's think of this. The necessity of God's work being displayed, verses 1 through 7, you see, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. You see here in the text that the necessity, there's the necessity that the works of God be displayed. Jesus said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. It's a necessity. God must display his works. And we cannot live without them. See, it's a beautiful thing that's happening here. See, they believed that sickness was the result of some sin that either the man or his parents had committed. He, had the man, he was born blind. What, what sin had he committed? Oh, yes. See, but does that sound familiar? Does that, isn't that the accusation that comes to you when you're sick? Do you not begin to think that it's something that you've done or something that you left undone? That perhaps this tragedy has come to you because you said these words or, or you had this evil thought. So whatever, whatever it is, we are always looking for a place where, where, where to place the blame. Jesus says it's not because of someone's sin, but it is that the works of God might be displayed in him. That can be said over the fall. Adam and Eve fell. Why? That the works of God might be displayed in them. So what happens? The father sends the son. See, you can you could write that over the it could be the epitaph over your sickness. You can place that at the forefront of your anxiety. You can let this phrase of, of preemptive love kiss the pain of that diagnosis and remove any creeping suspicion of false guilt. 
This is so the works of God might be displayed in you. But what are the works of God? Job 37, 15 says, the weather patterns and the wondrous are the wondrous works of God. Hear this, O Job. Consider, stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know how God lays his command upon them and causes the lightning of his cloud to shine? In Psalm 78, verses 6 and 7, it tells us that the deliverance of Israel, its testimony, its witness, and this appointment of the laws, a testimony, are the works of God that the generation might know so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And Jesus says this in in John chapter 6. He says that to believe in him is the works of God. They said to him, verse 28, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So you see, these verses tell us that God is sovereignly controlling events and patterns so that the next generation might have hope in the deliverance he provides through his son, Jesus Christ. That would have been a good place to say amen. (laughs) Christian, You're not a victim of circumstance. This is that the works of God might be displayed in you. See, this is a necessity of God's work being displayed. God's works have to be displayed. They must be displayed. And you and I can't live without them. See, this is unexpected. So, so that what Jesus says to the disciples, it's unexpected for them. They didn't, that's not what they expected to hear. I mean, their worldview was, yes, somebody's, somebody's to blame. But Jesus said, oh, no. So, so, so it's unexpected. And because of this, there's this nausea created by God's works being displayed. Because Jesus just gave the disciples a different perspective on sickness. That the sickness is so God's works are displayed in him, yet... You notice, this doesn't stop the culture or the community from clutching their point of view. Because in verses 8 and 12, we see how nauseated the neighbors are. Not nausea, you know, that's what happens internally when you aren't feeling well about whatever it is you've heard or you ate. (laughs) So the the neighbors and and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is. Others said, no, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. You see, the neighbor's worldview was weak, and they couldn't believe the man was the same person who had been making his living as a beggar. See, I can't believe it unless I see him. We need verification. I mean, that's, what they're, that's what they're wanting. See, if that's your view, your view is empiricism. I can't believe unless I have proof. See, they were so bent on maintaining their understanding that the truth is held suspect. And how often do people let suspicion stand in the way of the truth? 
See, they were waiting for, ver they were wanting verification, so they brought the man to the Pharisees, the religion experts. In verses 13 and 17, we see how the works of God nauseated the religion experts. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? Since he's opened your eyes, he said, he is a prophet. See, Jesus causes controversy. See, the works of God being displayed were done outside of the religious box of the Pharisees' rules. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. See, this was not the first time that Jesus violated their rules. He and the disciples, they picked and they ate grain on the Sabbath. He healed the man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. He healed, in John chapter 5, he healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees were upset at him, and, and they were upset at the man who was healed. And John adds this in John 5, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. See, their false narrative is, I have to keep all the rules in order to be right with God. And anybody else who who's right with God, they have to be keeping the rules. But here's, I hope this is a freeing truth. Rule keeping won't help you to see the truth. Rule keeping, especially religious rule keeping, can give you the illusion that you are doing right, but you're being duped. You're duped in being sincerely wrong. Rule keeping makes you self-reliant instead of reliant on God. Thus, Rule-keeping makes you graceless. And when rule-keepers turn on Jesus, they also turn on the ones whom Jesus has freed from their rule-keeping. Good verses 18 through 29. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've, all, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. 
You see, this is what it looks like when a culture is grappling with the works of God being displayed. Their rules are challenged, and they turn on those who had been previously under their oppression and wanting to drag them back under. Their rules become tools of intimidating others. Did you notice that they were putting out of the synagogue anyone who confesses Jesus to be Christ? You see, the culture, the culture is fine with you loving God as long as you don't tie him exclusively to Christ. See, the bondage, see, there's bondage in being comfortable in your brokenness. But even though this man is to be commended for not submitting to their rules, he still needs, you know, how can you, how could he submit? Listen, I was blind. I'm seeing now. I don't know what y'all thinking. <laughs> no. No. See, even, even though he's to be commended for not submitting, he still needs help in the application of grace because he thinks that God operates on a system of pay for praise. God needs to be bribed for him to respond to you. Look at what he says in verse 30 and 34. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been that heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Do you see it? That worship is bribery to get God to hear you. But God only hears you if you do his will and worship him. If you remember the story in, in 1 Samuel, that's why Saul is rejected. That's why, that's why Saul is rejected. He thought he could worship God his own way. We kept these sheep we did just what God said, but we kept these sheep because we want to offer them to God. And Samuel is like, if you did what God has said, there shouldn't be any sheep bleeding. Bleeding, B-L-E-A-T-I-N-G. You know, that's the noise that, not bleeding, bleating. <laughs> just a little distinction. Yeah. So, so if, if, that, if you had done what God said, I wouldn't hear this. But, yeah, you can't bribe God. And God says to Samuel, here, Samuel, I will provide for myself a king among his sons. Just referring to Jesse's sons. Now, see, you hear, what, you hear what the blind man is saying to the Pharisees, and it sounds like that's so right, that, the, that though anyone who worships and, and does the will of God, God hears. But the works of God have already been stated as believing in Jesus. The one whom the Father has sent. In him we are heard. In him our worship is made acceptable. Which brings me to the third point. This new nature that's resulting from God's work being displayed. See, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, 
For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. See, here's a, a beautiful change taking place. Here is the blind man having been cast out of the synagogue. And now, mind you, excommunication was a big deal in their culture. You know, and it, it, was, it was rare and it was harsh. So for him to be cast out, so John's readers would have, would have faced this same thing. So as they're, as they're reading this, and they could, they could take courage from the, the blind man's faithfulness. It would encourage them. But remember Jesus told them, and he told the 12 in John 16, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. So that, that blind man's faithfulness would be an encouragement to John's readers. And the beautiful change is that when the culture and the community casts you out, there Jesus finds you. Jesus, Jesus finds you. Jesus comes and he, he gets you. He's extending a welcome to you. And he is opening your eyes. He's opening your eyes because he comes near. He brings you near so that he can reveal himself to you. See, this is how, this is how the works of God are displayed. He comes to you. Abraham wasn't looking for God. God sought him and called him to leave his father's house and go to a land that he doesn't know. Moses wasn't looking for God, but God found him on the backside of the desert and called him to come and to serve and to lead his people out to worship him. David wasn't looking for God. He wasn't even in the house. He didn't even get the message. Hey, Samuel's here to look at one of us to seek to be the king. No, David wasn't there. David is outside with the sheep. And even though the seven had passed before, before Samuel, none of them is the one that God was after, and they all look good. And God said to him, don't look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. David comes in and God said, this is he. Samuel anointed him, and I love what the text says, that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Hallelujah. And it's in the strength of that David could pray in Psalm 51 and say, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Oh, no, the Spirit was on him from that day forward. The Lord seeks after you. Hallelujah. These are the works of God. So let me ask you, are you comfortable in your brokenness? Helen Keller said this, too. She said, better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. You know, what's the distinction? What, what's the distinction between being blind and, 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 and being able to see and, and having two good eyes and not seeing? What's the distinction? Well, Jesus, because Jesus said something similar to the Pharisees in, in, verse, in verse 41 of chapter 9. If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. See, those who confess blindness find healing. 
But those who confess, they see, they remain blind and in the dark. See, Jesus makes the distinction. What is, so what's your response to Jesus? Do you worship him? See, he's the king that God provides for himself among Jesse's sons. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to take your guilt. And you will say, he does this, oh, yeah, you will say, I was blind, now I see. I can remember back in the fall of, of 1978, I heard the message of the gospel. And it was as if somebody took the blinders off my eyes. I walked out of that church, I stepped outside, and it's as if I had, the first time in my life I noticed how the trees really were bright in the fall, how the colors had really changed, the sky was really blue. I'm not exaggerating, that is exactly, that's exactly the way I felt. When I got back to my, my barracks in, the, in that dorm, I, I reached in my locker where I had all this drug paraphernalia. See, back in the 70s, you could keep that stuff and nobody was really gonna come after you. You really, had to, you, really had to be, you really had to be in some kind of trouble for that to happen. But, you know, I did that, and I, I reached in my locker. I scooped all that stuff in the trash bag and said, I'm following Christ. Yeah, yeah God does that. He opens, he opens our eyes. And you have to confess your blindness to be able to see. He makes that, Jesus makes that distinction. Yeah. And on the cross... Jesus, the works of God, are being displayed. And there's a necessity. There's a necessity to God's works being displayed. He has to display his works. You need them to live. And because, because of Christ's death on the cross, there's salvation, there's healing, there's restoration in his works. And Jesus rising from the dead, it brings about ultimate healing to all of creation. So let Jesus nauseate your false narratives that you've been living under. Let him bust your religious categories because it's the grace of Christ that saves us, not our adherence to the rules of religion. Let Jesus bring you a new nature because of the works of God being displayed for you on the cross. See, Jesus is the friend who will come and set your spirit free. See, Jesus is the one who took the blame and became the guilt offering so that we might stand before God guiltless. Hallelujah. And since the works of God are displayed in our crucified, resurrected, reigning Lord, for every, for every Christian, for every believer, the words of Jonathan Edwards are right. Every Christian knows that their bad things will turn out for good, their good things can never be taken away, and the best is yet to come. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, as we sing the song Amazing Grace, we can imagine how John Newton felt when he wrote this. Because you too, Lord, you, we too have experienced your amazing grace through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, we pray 
that you would help our hearts to never stop being amazed. Lord, shape our reality around the truth that your works might be displayed in our lives. We are not victims of circumstance, but we have a sovereign God who loved us before the world began, is loving us now, and will love us still. Let us walk in that confidence for the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.